Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 71, The Need for Rest. Wake up, Lori. Thank you. <laughs> that was not staged. Hi, my name is Lori Krieg, and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am here with licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hello. We also have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. E- good evening. Good night. And good night. Yes. Good. Thank you, Trivia Whatever. Show. Yeah. But today we are on our fourth in a series of 10 we are doing on core needs. And for those of you who have been joining us, welcome back. For those of you who are just joining us, core needs, what are those? That's what a, a term that we have come up with and been developing over the last few years, just what those core needs are. They are inside of that metaphorical hole in our heart. And God put them there pre-fall in Eden, but the fall affected the way that we get those needs met. And so we look to people and things to meet those needs instead of God. And so those are called idols. But what do we do with those needs? And that is what we're going to address today. How can we look specifically at this good need for rest? And who better to invite to the restful conversation (laughs) than Adam Mabry, He has both his PhD in process at Aberdeen and his demon in process at GCTS. And he is the lead pastor at Aletheia Church in Greater Boston. And he is a teacher and author of the recently released book called The Art of Rest. So welcome, Adam. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. And Matt and I actually just met Adam this weekend in person when we were speaking at a Sexuality Everywhere conference in Madison, Wisconsin. And we are so excited to hear your heart and your passion for the gospel and some of what God's been doing in your life and also ask you some random questions because that's how this podcast rolls, but specifically about God's good design for rest. But first, let's go to that question of the week. And y'all, I asked and you answered last week to get as much feedback. But the question of the week is one I think all of us can relate to is how do you best combat anxiety slash fear? What do you do? And Adam, we would love to hear from you first. I mean, you're the rest expert. Are you also an anxiety and fear expert? Yeah, actually, I became an anxiety and fear expert first, which is how I uh, decided to uh, step into rest. Um, well, hey, there you <laughs> uh, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so the number one way I fight anxiety and fear is to begin my day doing not doing one thing and then doing a few other things. I don't look at my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I began about a year and a half ago the the habit of not looking at my phone first. And when my feet hit the floor, um, I, I say thank you to God for seven things. They can be, they're usually very random, hardly coherent, barely awake things. Things like I woke up today, the roof is still attached to my house, mm. um, my shower works, my wife still likes me, anything like that. <laughs> um, great. Uh, and uh, this actually came out of a, um, a season of battling a really, really uh, terrible moment of depression and anxiety myself. And so one of the, um, one of the, habits that I had developed was to put down the device that shouts at me all the problems in my life and my social media streams and my bank account and all that. And, um, yeah. and to tell God, thanks for good stuff. And, uh, and, uh, then come to those problems when I was uh, full of grace and ready, to, ready to see them. That's so good. So saying thanks for seven things. Is it seven? Because I mean, it's God's number or yeah, I mean, like I'm a Christian, and so yeah, obviously duh. we do everything in sevens. That's well, in the Bible, I'm well, sure. Somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sevens or twelves. Yeah, sevens or twelves. Yeah, or threes. It's true. 
for threes. That's a good one. Anyway, I chose seven because I figured it was, you know, more than three, less than 12. Um, and I stink at math and that's it. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But I love the practicality and it's so good to exchange whispers with a savior before shouts with the world. Mm-hmm. I think that was Lisa Turkhurst. And I think I quoted it last week too, but it's still good this week. It is. And I love the practical edition. Matt, how about you? How do you best combat anxiety and fear? And what, which audience participation piece did you most resonate with? Yeah, I really resonated with what Sabrina was saying, the words of truth statements that she goes through, that that she wrote down the negative thoughts and the lies that she had about herself, and then found truths to counteract those and said them every day out loud. Hmm. And, and that has been something that she has continued to add on and build. And she just said that, well, she has a list of about 68 statements that she goes through on a daily basis now, which is incredible. Yeah. Like not, not in a, like that's a lot, but just like an incredible testament to the work that she's put into identifying those lies and really speaking the truth over her. And I think that's something that I I don't do it quite as vociferously as, as she does, but for me, when I feel anxious, when I feel stressed, I usually don't even know it until I get back pain, yeah, which is a weird me. thing about yeah. me. Hmm. Like I'm, I'm not as self-aware emotionally, but when I start getting back pain, I'm like, oh, did I tweak myself like lifting something or is it just I'm stressed and anxious? And then I have to go through and really find out, okay, what is it that I'm anxious about? And then kind of doing what she does to, to speak it or at least to, to think it and process it and pray about it hmm. and sometimes cry listening to various music. Sweet. How about you, Steve? Uh, Yeah, I liked what Benjamin said in answer to the question. I often will turn to listening prayer and journaling. I may have also gotten a tattoo to help me remember (laughs) to trust God when things seem to be falling apart. Um, So is this where you tell us you got a tattoo? Well, no, No. (laughs) I didn't. And I probably won't. um, Just because I just feel too old to be getting a tattoo. But uh I like that he's doing listening prayer. I like the journaling. That's something that has helped me as well, journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, Adam, what you said about just right off the bat, first thing in the morning. Um, for me, it's um, just b- before I'm about to walk out the door, not every single day religiously, but when we when we can, we're both there and we can remember. Kelly and I say Proverbs 3, 5 through 10 to each other, mm-hmm. and that just um, is a great reminder. Can um, you remind us? Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yeah. Lean not under your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So, and it goes on from there. It talks about, you know, what to do about, you know, even finances and just, so right. just all of that relating all of that to God and then he takes care of us. So it's so a great good. reminder that I need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really loved so many answers that we got. And for those of you who want to respond, you can either email us at podcast at himhministries.com or friend me, Lori Krieg, on Facebook or find me on Twitter and I will post this and you can respond on Twitter or on Facebook. And so we really appreciate the conversations there. Uh, But Melissa said, breath prayers, inhale Jesus and exhale be my strength. Hmm. Um, And I just love that because... God, you know, Yahweh is that breath and um, even a couple weeks. So being pregnant, I like get winded mm, walking up like three stairs. And so I'm like, I used to run six miles six months ago and I can't anymore. Um, So the other week I actually was so a out of breath and then two just so stressed about all that was going on that i started getting like a full-blown panic attack and matt was like lori what is wrong with you i'm like i think i'm panicking so i was 
just like having this full blown panic attack. And I just took some breaths in and breaths out and just was like trying to breathe in Jesus and breathe out my stress. So I really appreciated that reminder of our breath, which is also good. Matt, you could tell us all the brain science behind breathing and how it helps actually calm you down. But also thinking about Jesus. For those of you, again, who are first time listeners, this goofball island comes from the movie Inside Out, which is basically therapy via Pixar. And the main character in it has like these wheels of personality or these islands of personality. And one of them is this goofball island that's like, okay, we have all these pieces of us, but how about this goofballiness? And so we intentionally go here with air quotes. We're not actually going somewhere, shocker. Uh, But we go here in order to intentionally infuse fun into our lives, which I hope we'll talk about today as we're talking about rest. So... The game is Table Topics. This is an oldie but goodie. We've done it before. And the vehicle we are taking to get to Goofball Island is a Lazy Susan. So, Adam, we are going to Table Topic you. These are just cards that we have at our house. And I just pick some cards out and just ask you questions. But here's the first one. If you were a Starbucks drink, Adam, what would you be? Ooh. Ooh, okay, I think I would be the drink that I also actually drink the most, <laughs> which is a uh, a tall Americano with nothing else in it. Because Whoa. even though it's short, uh, it's called tall, which uh, <laughs> I feel like relates to my own personal stature. It is clear <laughs> to the point, and it is merely there to taste wonderful and give you tons of energy. And I uh, I am constantly, constantly filled with energy. Um, so I, I think it. I would choose the... Uh, the tall Americano iced in the summer. That's what I was going to say. Is it only hot? Okay. I like a, Mm. I dig a good Mm. Americano. (laughs) I got to be honest. I took this test, which Starbucks drink are you for you guys? And I think Matt was like a mint chocolate frappuccino and Mm, Steve, you you were like, just Mm. like a, you were like a clean Americano. You might've been in like an Americano too, but the the grande though. The the venti. (laughs) The venti. Yeah. He's a, He's a tall drink of water. All right, let's go with the second question of three in our table topics game. If you had to have an animal with you all the time, so like you're that guy that's got the animal with him, would you rather have a pet snake? Now I'm just picturing you like pastoring and teaching with like a snake around your (laughs) neck, like some sort of creepy Harry Potter character. Okay. Mm. Snake, parrot, cat, wolfhound. Now those dogs are gigantic. Yeah. And could probably actually eat someone, but they're actually nice, aren't they, Matt? I I would I assume so. Like you I, know all, all dogs, dogs, all dogs are nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or a unicorn, and why? Hmm. Okay. So I think the irony of me having a unicorn would yeah. probably evoke the most interesting conversations, and so I can imagine up on the stage at my church, uh, mounted atop my <laughs> unicorn, uh, you know, exegeting Romans uh, slowly. Um, yeah. getting really into the syntax and, uh, and, and, you know, staring down anyone who thought that was strange. I feel like that would be, that would be something that I could live with that level of irony. I think, I think a snake is a little bit too, uh, I don't know, too. It's creepy. You, know. you need like, yeah, I don't like know, a little bit have, too professor Snape. Parrot. It is very seems kind of, well, I mean, plus Snape-y. the garden, you know, well, there's yeah. Um, plus Satan, uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. But what if you like couldn't even talk about the fact that you're on a unicorn. Like you just go oh, up there. That you might, don't right? acknowledge the best it. part though. Yeah. There's no um, acknowledging I, it. Yeah. I, I think, I think that would make it the best part. The yeah. living irony. I like, I like tense of irony that lasts a long time. Um, huh. So, Perfect. so yeah, I All think, right. I think it would work. 
And especially in the area of Boston that you are in, like around MIT Yeah, you know, like redeeming symbols. Like people would think, oh, unicorn. That does not typically go with straightforward, you know, Christian pastor. Yeah. Um, And I'd be like, why not? And then I'd look at them and then my unicorn would stare at them and we'd be like, don't judge us. (laughs) (laughs) I see it. Thank you for getting the scene. Would the unicorn have a rainbow mane? Mm, Isn't that the mm, only version they come mm. in? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you get options? Can you order them? Is like, is like yeah, it's customizable. In this game. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well then, well then, probably yes. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Growing up, Adam, what was your favorite after-school snack? And did it change from like elementary school where you liked Dunkaroos and high school where it turned into I want to say kangaroos, but that would just be straight up gross. But <laughs> soda uh, and yes. hamburgers and manly stuff. Yeah. Favorite after-school snack. So I was a 100% latchkey kid, so I moved through many seasons of after-school snack. Ooh. Probably the most consistent was the the ramen noodle. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which was both salty and unhealthy. And uh, then there would be, uh, there, there was a, a season of time where um, my my mom and I would make on the grill, like, a hundred hamburgers all at once and then freeze a bunch of them. Oh, wow. And then I would just, yeah, right. I don't know some, for some reason that's what we did. And so there was a long period of time where it was, you know, like defrosting a hamburger and having a hamburger after lunch because that's healthy too. Um, or after school rather. So yeah, mm. I don't know. One of those two things I think, uh, would be the, would be the go-to. Plain hamburger. You have a bun. Oh yeah. Bun, cheese, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Could you yeah, also going nuts. be eating that hamburger on the unicorn? Now I'm just picturing that. And again, you don't talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, this goes generally with my personality that like I have a daydream of taking a sabbatical whenever that happens. And, uh, as a man with no hair, maybe getting, you know, like a great man weave while I'm, while I'm gone and then coming back and preaching a whole sermon and not addressing the man weave at all. Yeah. And just expecting everyone to get with it. Like that's what happens when you go on sabbatical, you grow your hair back. Let it be so. (laughs) Let it be so. All right. Let's shift to the heart of the matter. All right, Adam, now that we got to know you, just some pieces of you, and and I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing and the visual you're putting out there. Uh, We ask every guest these two questions. And the first one is, how is the gospel first good news for you? And the gospel, we switch around the Tim Keller phrasing. We say how I am more loved than I can imagine and more sinful than I believe after we got a little bit schooled by uh, Kurt Thompson, who wrote The Soul of Shame. And he's like, the way that he phrases that is a little shamey. So we switched it around. So how (laughs) how is the gospel first good news for you? And how is it still? Ah, well, um, it was first good news for me because uh, I I heard it in a time that, um, that, boy, I really needed it. You know, the Bible uses this phrase in the fullness of time uh, to describe God's timing and doing uh, different matters of salvation history. And uh, for me, I was 12 and um, my family was super broken and mm-hmm. uh, just walking through some really hard stuff, my father, my mother and my sister all. And I, you know, when, you, when you're raised in a tough environment, you don't really think about it until you leave it. And um, I had a friend, uh, his name is Keith, who invited me to go to camp. And I was like, yeah. And when I said, yeah, like for all I knew, it was like an Al-Qaeda training camp and I would, <laughs> I would have gone. I don't know. I was just going to camp. But uh, gratefully, it, it was it was a good old Southern Baptist Christian camp. And like I lived in Florida. We went to Tennessee. Um, and there was a gospel presentation, I think every evening, but there was something about the last evening that uh, really made sense. Um, the pastor was preaching out of that, um, passage in revelation. I forget the exact reference right now. I think, believe it's revelation three when Jesus is speaking to one of the seven churches and says, um, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
the pastor said, uh, would, would you like to actually open the door of your life and, and ask Jesus to come in? And as like an 11 or 12 year old kid, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's totally, that was all I wanted to do in that moment. And, uh, mm-hmm. and quite securely, the pastor didn't have like a big weepy altar call moment. Um, mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, just go back to your dorm and, you know, think about that. And I was like, all right, I will. Um, and, and so, uh, I, I walked back to my dorm and, much like, uh, I guess, like C.S. Lewis says, when I got on the bus, I wasn't a believer. And then when I got off, I was. Yeah. Uh, when I left the the dining hall, I wasn't a Christian. But by the time I got back to my room, I was. Hmm. Um, and uh, and when I came back, it was like it was it was like God had brought scales off my eyes. I saw my family and my situation with a much um, clearer degree of reality. Um, and uh, just began to pray and ask God to do a miracle in their situation and. Um, you know, as a little 12 year old kid and wow, yeah, it was a handful of years later that, uh, God actually did. And within like a six month span, um, God really revolutionized, um, every single one of their lives. Wow. Um, mm. yeah, it was amazing. And, um, and, uh, I remember thinking at that time I, I was like 15 or 16, I believe it was 15. And, uh, I remember thinking, man, Lord, if you can do that, I, I can, I can really get into that. And that was the first inkling that I might've been called into ministry, but I, uh, I didn't want to do that, so I quickly, uh, you know, pushed that down. And, um, As we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I was really into music, um, uh, classical music, actually. And uh, I met I met the woman who I am now married to when I was 15 in, wow. in high school. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so we we are both from very similar, similarly broken backgrounds. And so we actually became really good friends. Um, and we were both music nerds. She's a pianist, and I am a vocalist. And uh and we both went to college to do it to do that, and ended up uh, getting married and stuff. And um, and we were really involved in a campus ministry at Florida State University called um, Every Nation Campus Ministries. And um, we were at one of our conferences, and God he spoke to us. Uh, I mean, is the the closest thing to the audible voice of God I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at a big conference room filled with thousands of students and a gentleman got up to give like a quick announcement about a church plant in Europe. And um, the Holy Spirit said, stop what you're doing and go and do that. And uh, wow. I think Hope and I had been married for like eight or nine minutes. Like, I mean, no, no time <laughs> at all. And, uh, and we, we were both struck by both the need of people who were, who had everything, but didn't have Jesus, um, as it was the case in a lot of Western big cities. And, uh, we both felt a similar, like, uh, the thrashing of the Holy spirit in our hearts. And so, yeah, so we ended up doing that and, um, deciding that was also a good time to get pregnant. Um, and, uh, (laughs) yeah, you know, let's have all the life changes at once. We're cheaters. So, um, so we, uh, yeah, we um, moved over with a great team of people, and we watched the gospel continue to be good news in the lives of folks who um, didn't know him. Um, I worked almost exclusively with university students at the University of Edinburgh, and we saw um, um, a, a really generous number come to Jesus, and I got to disciple some of them, and um, uh, a couple of whom are now they're leading that church we planted. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the work we do here, like between Harvard and MIT and Boston and you know the, the things we're doing here, uh, now, I mean, we see, it's stunning to me that it is the gospel that is yeah. the actual power of God for life change. We had a, a young man who was a, a freshman at one of these illustrious universities, really nervous that like, hey, you know, how am I going to talk to my friends about Jesus? And we were like, well, I don't know, uh, let's practice your testimony. So I was just hmm. giving him a little, a few tips, um, in one of our classes and I challenged him. I was like, well, just go and share it with somebody. And sure enough, like 
a week later, uh, he, one of his roommates came to Jesus and he was like, oh my gosh, it works. <laughs> like, yes, it totally works. The gospel is like actually good news uh, to all kinds of people. And that's like, that's stunning um, so cool. to, to rewatch over and over and over again. So good. And I hope, and I'm pretty sure we're going to get back to the piece of your story that you shared as well at the beginning, the anxiety and depression. I'm like, ooh, let's go there to the darkness. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm guessing we'll go there as we talk about this need for rest. Um, but let's, let's just go there. How, how in that season, Adam, can you just tell us a little bit about how that season really deepened the gospel's good news for you? Oh, yeah. Well, I think you should probably first know that I'm like the commensurate, twitchy, East Coast, achievement-oriented, like, high-driven, like, I walk by coffee pots and they start for me. Like, that's the kind of person that I am. And, We're waking uh, up. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, am, I am not oriented toward rest at all. And, um, and so, the fact that I've written a book on rest is like the height of irony because God's hilarious. And um, the reason actually comes out of this depressive season. So, I kind of say all that to set up this uh, your answer. I have always, um, always, whenever something got challenging in my life, um, gotten myself out of it by dialing up the achievement, um, mm. whether I felt unloved as a young child or I felt in pain emotionally, I would just, I would work harder. I would do something that seemed, um, interesting or remarkable to other people to, uh, get the good vibes of, you know, being noticed for doing something, you know, that somebody else would, would call good. Yeah. Um, and so we were in a season where uh, the church I pastor is now um, eight years old. Um, and at that time, it was like three years old. And it was just really exploding. Uh, surprising to all of us uh, that, that this, this church was taking off. And uh, we just launched another location. Uh, I was wrapping up my first master's degree. We had a, we had a baby that was allergic to sleep. Um, and, uh, and Those are tough ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we just bought a house that was um, the mother of all fixer uppers. I mean, it's like 120 years old and we're the third owners. It's it, it was a it was a it was a dumpster fire with a doorbell. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> but because Boston is like the super expensive, that's that's what we could have. And um, my dad is a residential developer. And so I grew up around construction and I, I was remodeling our home because we spent every red dime we had on buying it. So right. I'm working my job. I'm doing my degree. We're not sleeping well. And I'm way over functioning with trying to speed up the remodel of this home because it was just gross to live in. Mm. And, uh, I broke, uh, I have this vivid memory of it being like one or two in the morning. I'm painting baseboards on the, like the landing of the second story of this house. Like, crying, cursing, angry, praying mess. And, and that was sort of the beginning of like, Hmm, I, I don't think, I don't think I can achieve my way out of this. Um, yeah. and I, I hit the dark pretty hard for I think probably six or nine months. And, um, and so the practice of rest for me was really about acknowledging that there is a God in heaven and a sovereign ruler and savior of the universe. And his name is not my name. Um, yeah. And really, truly believing that. I, had a, I have a spiritual father. Uh, his name is Jim. He's amazing. And then when he was walking with me through this stuff, he talked to me and he said, you know what's great, Adam? And I was like, I, what? So, <laughs> and one of these days, you're going to actually believe that gospel you preached to all those people. And that's going to mm. be great. And I was like, you know what, guy? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I wanted to be mad at him, but he's like, you know, has a really sticky habit of being right. So, um <laughs> So yeah, it, it really was like beginning to, with my body and my schedule, believe yeah. 
Yes. God is good. And he did all the work for me to enter into his rest and does not require me to do a thing for him that I could enter into his rest. Um, he just wants me to receive it um, and, and actually walk in the thing that Jesus died and rose to give me. Um, and of course, I know he died and rose to give me like a thousand other wonderful things that theology you know, gives us wonderful insight into. But this was a piece I just functionally did not believe. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that was really the genesis of the, of the book um, and, and teaching it to myself and stumbling forward and figuring out how to, how to practice this art that uh, for me was like a little kid picking up a violin. I was not good at it, but I was going to do it anyway. So is that, like, why do you call it an art and how do you define rest? Right. So rest, I think, like a, a good biblical definition would just be holy time set apart to the Lord. Now, I should say at the outset, I'm not, there, there are two camps theologically. There are the, there's the Sabbatarian position, which um, many faithful Christians throughout history and, and, and still today pra- believe and practice, which is the Sabbath is meant to be uh, the Lord's Day, uh, mm-hmm. Sunday. Um, sun up to sundown, you know, uh, where, where you should practice it in a largely uh, Jewish looking way. Um, no work, time, you know, to mm-hmm. go to church and stuff. And um, I actually love that um, and think that's really beautiful. I can't imagine how that could be possibly restful for a pastor, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially for me. I, I mean, Sunday is like an 18 hour workday for me. Right. Um, and so I, I don't I don't I don't hold that position, but I respect it. Um, mm. So for, for me, I, I think that uh, the Old Testament um, laws and uh, admonitions about Sabbath are not abrogated, but are fulfilled in Christ. And, and what most Christians end up doing, though, is like, oh, Sabbath, therefore, you know, Jesus is the Lord of Sabbath. He's what Sabbath was pointing to. Therefore, there's no more Sabbath. And that mm-hmm. is profound foolishness. Yeah. Um, the, I, I think what he does is he, he takes the law of the Old Testament and turns it into wisdom for our lives. And so while, you know, not practicing a regular weekly Sabbath might not be sin, I think it certainly is stupid. Hmm. Um, and so I actually just began to, to practice the, the, the art. And it's an art because when you start, you're bad at it. Hmm. Um, uh, in, in the West, we really value um, busyness as like a kind of cultural cachet. Like mm-hmm. um, there, there was an Oxford study done a few years back where uh, learning how people would signal to others their importance and social standings. And one of the ways that was noticed by the researchers is uh, through busyness. And and the busier you projected yourself to be, generally the more you were sort of signaling that you had high social status, Hmm. which is funny because like a hundred years ago, the socially elite uh, signaled they were elite through huge periods of leisure Hmm. um, and really not working at all. Um, and now we're like, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I'm so busy too. How busy? Oh, I'm very busy. Probably busier than you because you know, very important. Like that's the, it's like this weird busy virtue signaling where we've turned a, the vice of restlessness into a virtue. Mm. Um, and we like acknowledge each other as, as being really you know, great if you burn the midnight oil or something. Um, right. And so acknowledging that in my heart, at least, and in my city uh, filled with achievers, that is just super profound idolatry, yeah. um, functional idolatry that I think the Lord wanted to heal and replace. So how did you do that? And how do you ongoingly do that? Because as one of our mentors says, once you uproot an idol and kill it, you got to make sure it stays dead. So mm-hmm. how did you, in that desperate space and then in your daily desperation now, how did you and do you uproot it and not not play the workaholism worship game? Uh, yeah, well, it um, it is a you know a, a easily resurrected idol. Um, yeah. This one, 
and uh, yeah, it's it's an active uh, fight for me. Um, but so it starts with like really not doing any work on the day I'm going to say I'm not going to do any work. Yeah. Um, uh, Which means like what? Like no phone, no email, yeah, no like, meetings. I mean, for me as a no. pastor, it's like I'm putting down my books. I'm yeah. not going to do church stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to yeah, do my email and, you know, look at my screen all day and all that mm-hmm. nonsense. Um, and so there's a lot of those things. Uh, it also means like I'm going, I am going to sleep in, which for a, an overachiever who wakes up at like 5.15 every morning mm-hmm. is like, that, it sounds ridiculous to say, but like that I have to, I have to be intentional about like taking a nap and oversleeping and stuff yeah. like that. Um, uh, it also means um, not stressing my kids out, like intentionally allowing them to slow down as well. I am like, I'm a recovering helicopter parent. I hate what helicopter parenting does. And I, I, mm-hmm. I'm like a high anxiety human. So it's easy for me to, you know, look to my children to fulfill all my needs and wants and desires. Cause why there else would is. God give us children? Um, <laughs> Love the and, uh, yeah. Uh, to, to be my little, uh, you know, to be my little purposes for living. And, uh, that's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to do. So, um, man, it means playing with them. It means like cooking, laughing. Um, avocation is really big for me, like doing, cause I know I'm very active and I have a lot of energy. So a common argument between my wife and I for like a decade, every Friday or Saturday, whichever day I was taking off, I'd be like, all right, baby, what do you want to do today? And she would say something like, I don't know. Let's just see what happens. And I would like immediately go into, well, um, that's how you achieve nothing. And so since, uh, <laughs> I'm not a loser. Uh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and as you can imagine, that was a really restful and sweet thing to yeah, say, you know, like first thing in the really morning. Good. Put her good at ease. Marriage. It did. It mm. did. It puts her at ease. I mean, you should have, I, I wish I'd had a video camera out for the chortle uh, that was uttered by my wife when I told her that I was going to write this book, um, <laughs> that I was asked, in fact, to write this book. This wasn't even my idea. Someone came to me um, awesome. and said, write this book. And uh, I mean, there were there was a lot. I mean, it was almost a spit take. It was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> nice. But that's the argument we would get in. So I actually have to be super intentional about, okay, I, in order to to uh, get to a space of restfulness, these are some of the practices I need to do. And I need to um, advocate. So actually, that house of mine that like sent me into a like a flaming depression now turns out to be like this gift from God where I can tinker with mm-hmm. it and put it down, you know, go mm-hmm. tinker on a fence or on a little because there's always something that needs fixed in a house that was built just after the civil war um and it's actually kind of nice um Hmm. and so like or i like to cook or do something um avocation um is is a big one for me um that makes and a ton of sense like to too, because yeah. you you work with people and you work with the church, the body of Christ, which is made up of people. And Matt, I know you can relate to this. Mm-hmm. It's just the how restful it is. Like I don't want to go out in the garage and build something, but on your days off, that's like the most restful thing. A lot of times, because yeah, with working with people, it's just it's different. It's a different mindset. It's a different like you see progress. You see, like it's a tangible thing as opposed to working with emotion and but people are broken and they keep being broken but houses can be fixed somewhat yeah and and they're never done like yeah it's not like okay i'm done done with you you are discipled now um <laughs> you have been glorified in the body yeah um uh whereas like oh you know if i'm hanging a new door that is done at some point until my youngest son comes along and breaks it yeah. um but you know oh yeah oh we get that so if God put this good need for rest in us before the fall and then the fall comes and mucks it up and we can either run toward um, 
really like this high achieving and this is where my value comes from. Or we can run toward like laziness and be like, yes, I have this good need for rest and now I'm going to mm-hmm. be lazy. How how can we walk like Jesus walked and like live like him in in our walking with this good need for rest? Like what did he do that we can emulate? Yeah, I, I think, gosh, that's a great question. Because when I say rest, a lot of people hear me time, and there's nothing in the Bible that says uh, or sanctifies me time. Yeah. Um, as like this, I'm going to go and sit and make sure Netflix still works for the next eight hours. Um, Which isn't uh, really restful. It doesn't I mean, actually it, rest it, the parts of your brain like yeah, very yeah. long. You know, I mean, like, there, I'm sure there's, I mean, I'm not like a brain science expert. Like, I guess there's a, a space for, you know, watching a show you like or you know, playing a video game or something like that. But um, time, like extended time in prayer and reflection, I think a lot of the gift of rest, and I detail this in the book, is like rest has this space to allow you to reflect. If all you do is do, then you never stop to think and, and like think deeply um, because you live, uh, when, when all you're doing is working, most of our work is um, habituated. Um, it's, it's just autopiloted work. So you sort of turn into this like work zombie and your brain wanders, but you're not doing any deep reflective thinking like, man, am I, am I obeying God? Am I speaking to my kids well? Am I, you know, how is my prayer life? Uh, am I being a faithful disciple on my street? Am I talking to my neighbors about Jesus? Am I, like, you can't think those thoughts if uh, you're constantly driven to the next thing. Hmm. So, I mean, Jesus, I, I guess as an achiever, like Jesus isn't, like Jesus achieved par excellence. He won, like, yeah. He had, he had two jobs. Let's talk about that. Like he had a successful furniture business or something like that. Um, <laughs> and then, and then like in three years achieved like redemption of the cosmos. I mean, in three years, you know, I, I barely got a master's degree. And like, <laughs> I mean, he like, he, you know, won a victory over, you know, hell on the grave. And so I feel like he got a lot done and mm-hmm. he did it more restfully than most of us. Mm. Um, there was never like, there was never an end to the need. There was always someone who needed healed or needed a devil cast out of them or someone who needed to be preached to mm. or a disciple that needed correcting or whatever. And yet, and Mark's really good at, at noting this, like after huge revival breakout moments, uh, he's like, all right, I'm going to go pray. Um, you mm. guys go on ahead. I'll see you in a minute. And, uh, I just think it, like the fact that Mark and Luke and John, like they wrote that down and they, I mean, especially in Mark, which is like the most economic gospel. I mean, it's only 16 mm-hmm. chapters and everything happens immediately. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of times that Mark notes the restfulness of Jesus, I think is itself quite noteworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus took, like he pulled away from his direct calling. He went to be with his father. So extended time with prayer. Um, he had an ability to laugh and relax and play. I mean, when, um, Matthew, the tax collector, came to faith. One of the first things he did was went to a party with him. And, you know, we pastors are like, yes, it was like an evangelistic outreach event. Like, <laughs> yes, I'm sure it was that sort of, but it was also, I mean, the Bible calls it a party. So yeah. it was probably just, first, it was probably just a party. And probably Jesus was like enjoyable to hang out with and not mm-hmm. like stressed out about his, you know, all the unread Slack messages or something. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, pulling away, being with the Father. Um, being able to enjoy human community and fellowship and being enjoyable therein. Um, uh, he liked kids. I mean, he played with kids, like grumpy people. Like mm-hmm. kids can smell a grumpy person who's like actually restless and anxious a mile away. Yeah. And they never want to climb up on their lap. And yet, you know, kids wanted to run up and be with Jesus so much that the disciples, you know, were like, hey, 
you know, scoot, get out of here. Mm. Um, so and these things, I think, give us a picture of a savior who's not like, you know, grumpy uh, and anxious, but like mirthful, like cheerful yes. and um, paced. Uh, definitely there to get the job done, but also knowing that like there's a there's a spot for restfulness. And of course, the way he actually talks about Sabbath rest, you know, when he rebukes the Pharisees for not knowing what they're talking about mm-hmm. and talk, you know, kind of recast Sabbath as a gift. Um, I find all of that really challenging as a Bible nerd. Yes. And, um, and so those are some of the things I think we can embody ourselves because Jesus embodied them. We have incorporated at our in our house, and we've maybe mentioned this a couple times in the podcast, but someone really challenged us to take like a day off. And there's times where like this Sunday, I'm speaking four times like that will not be my sabbath but to take an actual day off and i i kind of poo-pooed it for so long uh but when we started incorporating it into our lives and doing some of those things that you're saying adam and really starting the day with asking god like how do you want us to rest today um, and, and how to rest as a family. I think, you know, when you have little kids, you're like, well, you never rest. Your job's always happening, which is true. And, but it's nice when at least both of us are home and you're asking God, how can we rest together? And so mm-hmm. I'm hearing that and what you're saying. And even on some of the brain science stuff, like vegging out on eight hours of Netflix, it actually have done some of the research on the studies is it actually overstimulates the parts of your brain that huh. need to not be overstimulated. And they say that to actually rest, you need, it's a switch up of your normal activities. So these avocation things that you're saying. Um, so it's normally like, so if I'm always speaking, I need to maybe be quiet and go for a walk or like what you guys are even describing with like the switch up of meeting with people to building something that really, even though you're building something and sweating, that is actually more restful than perhaps overstimulating the parts of your brain that it's actually not letting your brain release and do the relaxing that it needs to do. So hmm. I love what you're saying, and it speaks to some of the research that I've done, too. Um, but Matt and Steve, I'd love to just hear, too, how, how do you guys battle this, either the laziness, me time piece, uh, that maybe it's like, I need to overrest uh, and like you know, hoard it, you know? Mm-hmm. I get like that kind of picture of like hoarding it or the overworking. Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I tend to fall on the other end of the spectrum where, where for me, I, I, I like rest. Mm-hmm. And and so it, it can become more of the the lazy leisure, and so I, I guess for me the 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 thing is like when you have accomplished the task or when you're when you're busy working, the the goal of rest is is a for health, but then it also frees you up to to be able to reengage with what God has called you to. So seeing like the purpose in the rest. Yeah, there's a there's a purpose for rest as opposed to a mindless just like numbing out from yeah. from whatever's going on in life. And and I know that when it if I haven't had a ch- a chance to rest like so this weekend when we were at, in Madison mm-hmm. speaking and everything there wasn't a whole lot of rest. And I know that coming back and and doing my job of sitting with people and and doing counseling there was almost this like simultaneous desire for my brain to just shut down emotionally that that isn't normally there and so for for me to to understand that i need some rest well i need rest but i need to to make sure i'm not just completely checked out and the purpose of resting is so that i can continue to do the the job that god has called me for yeah it's a refueling as opposed yeah, to a, a running it's a recovery yeah. as opposed to just a, an idleness yeah that's great. 
Steve, any thoughts on that? Do you lean toward more the workaholism of Adam and I or the lackadaisical? I'm, I'm an Enneagram nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you guys are both nines. Yeah. What are you, Adam? Are you three, eight? I, I am an Enneagram ignorant person. <laughs> um, I think I'm like the only person on the planet that has not <laughs> done okay. nor uh, discovered. My, I'm told I am all kinds of numbers. So now my, people, <laughs> my friends are into it. Mistake me for a math equation. And they're like, you're like us for, you know, leaning seven or a, you know, six. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, yeah. So whatever number uh, is least likely to be enamored with the Enneagram is likely to be the one that I am. <laughs> that sounds I like a most. four. That sounds like a four. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, laziness is, is yeah. big. It, it's, that's something that I struggle with and have for a long time. Um, the cardinal virtue, I think, or I don't know the all, nine. The, yeah. all the lingo of it, but it has something to do with action. Hmm. Um, but I've got to really, um, motivate myself. I need to be intentional about that hmm. otherwise. And I mean, like I do work a lot in terms of, I mean, it's not vocation. Like, yeah. Yes. yes. Yep. It's not like physical manual labor, Yeah, but I'm, I've got a lot of side hustles and things and it keeps me busy. Um, and so I do sometimes find if I've got any downtime, I do want to just like veg out. So I'm still trying to figure out what is something, you know, actually rests you and refuels. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I worked on these little miniature metal origami mm -hmm. models yeah. one Saturday that was that very, we gave you, that you gave, <laughs> gave me him a as Star a gift Wars for my birthday model. Yes. Yeah. And, and that actually, when I accomplished that, I was like, that was really fun. It was my entire day. Yeah. Um, but I like lost track of time, you know, and so I don't know. I think that was something that was yeah. kind of re mm -hmm. refreshing and recreating for me. I love it. So Adam, last question for you. Has it been worth it? Has instilling this, you know, weekly Sabbath, and I'm guessing if we'd listen to, you know, do this daily, the seven things that you start the day off with to even combat anxiety, has it been worth it? Yeah. And I think it's been worth it for a number of reasons. So I like I am I am a total rest failure and I uh, am hyper achievement driven and can stress everyone in my house out. And so it's worth it to fight that. Like I'm I'm sure that if you ask my kids, you know, hey, describe your dad to me. They're not going to be like, oh, he's very, you know, peaceful and calm. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of incense and breathy tones like that's not <laughs> going to be what they say. Um, so it's worth it for a number of reasons. The one is um, uh, I think I'm living as a redeemed human. Hmm. Um when I like I, I like a person who's supposed like a person is supposed to live, who's received Jesus um, yeah. and breathing in His grace. Uh, the second reason is I think it's evangelistically super attractive when the church um, is restful. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been mm -hmm. around super stressy people, but we're not. We're I'm told we're not fun. <laughs> um, not fun to have at parties. Mm -hmm. And so if the Church of Jesus Christ is you know made up of anxiety-driven, restless people. It doesn't say a lot about a gospel of grace mm -hmm. uh, that is very good. But on the other hand, if you've ever been around someone who's really secure and uh, really loves God and has been, is at peace with who they are in Jesus? Yeah. I mean, that, I just want to be around people like that um, mm -hmm. and they're life-giving. And so I, I think that it, it, is, it is effective um, and worth it because of evangelistic power. And thirdly, because um, I need to embody my faith in the gospel and currently like the biggest one of the biggest anti-gospel messages that my culture preaches to me is that i am what i do 
And the reality is if I got hit by a bus tomorrow and couldn't write or pastor or preach ever again, um, I would be just as loved and accepted in Jesus uh, and just as worth it to him. Um, and so, yes, living in a, in a way that actually embodies belief in that idea and faith in Jesus. Uh, yeah, that's totally worth it, even if I am at best to see minus at it and, um, you know, trying to get better. So good. Yeah. Adam, thank you so much for joining us this week. You were the, just, just the right guest to talk about rest with us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So for all of you, we're going to continue this series next week. We're going to be talking about love. We have Jennifer Kennedy Dean, who wrote a really great devotional that I, I loved. Um, but we are going to talk about the one whose name is love. Hey, uh, and how did you first come to Christ? I'm always curious about this. Was it fear driven? Like you were scared of burning up in hell or was it gentleness driven? Like, oh my word, God loves me how much? Um, so I just would love to hear like that initial and some people it's the fear and it leads to love or I don't know. So again, friend me on Facebook or find me on Twitter or email us at podcast at himhministries.com. Also, check out Adam's book, The Art of Rest. I will link to that on our podcast episode page. And so find it. And I really love how we unpacked his story today. And you hear the the failure <laughs> turned like victor because of Jesus, which is, man, that's the whole reason we're doing this podcast. That's the whole reason we're Christians is the gospel is good news for everyone every day. Uh, and two, if you guys like this podcast, thank you so much. We love receiving notes from you. You can email me directly or again at that same email podcast email address um, and drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. And we love those five star ones, but we also really love just hearing why. Like, why does this podcast mean something to you if it does? Um, thanks so much for listening and for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We will see you next week. sick children and, mm. you know like, li- li- life is good the devil sucks and yep. it's real and i hate him how is that like pretty good how is his lordship dealing with the sick children <laughs> well you know the life in the manor isn't great and my my servants have all quit because i don't have any and um <laughs> so it's pretty much pretty much just me you know it's fine uh you right. do one one does get used to these things it's just more like the uh it's got to pass through so you just sort of hold on and all the while thinking, like, I have a supercomputer in my pocket and we're going to go to Mars soon, but we can't make this stop. And <laughs> That's sort a good of a, point. You know, like an existential crisis every time one of these people gets sick. But, uh, you know, it's all right. Is it like the puke six or is it like just flu? And... Every one of them manifested a little different. So I got one Yay. kid who, like, turns into a fire monster and he gets a flu. Oh, he's like Jack-Jack. Yeah, yeah, and uh, except angrier, and then right. like he just becomes inconsolable and hot, and then one who pukes, mm. and then one gratefully who sleeps, and then um, there you go. Yeah, so it's a little bit like a weird, like an inverted Bizarro Seven Dwarves, except for my four kids. It's like pukey, angry, <laughs> sleepy, fighty. Say, it's sleepy, like a variety yeah. pack. Fighty, sleepy, <laughs> like fighty. <laughs> yeah. So Grumpy. yeah. Do you, you stare know, at them and just say, this is my future next week, or do you not usually get their stuff? Well, I get me a young priest and an old priest, and yeah. I start throwing water at them. Good. And saying things like, devil come out, just you... waiting for it to happen. 
Um, <laughs> Are we going to hear yeah. that in the background while we're doing this? No, I'm actually in my office slash the basement of the YMCA that we rent uh, space from. Slow. So, oh. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think I might be the only like pastor of a pretty large church that doesn't actually have a like a normal space. But that's all right. I've got a fun relationship <laughs> with them. So. In the Y. There we go. Yeah. You just <clears throat> go up and work out a little bit. Get that's yeah. exactly what I do actually during my during my uh, lunch break. That's why, and you probably re- remarked to each other, I have a uh, really chiseled physique. Yes, that's <laughs> all we remarked on. I was going to say, like, do you then make it imperative that if anyone is meeting with you, you're on a treadmill, thus to cut down your meetings? <laughs> and thus that's... to work out your salvation, literally. Yeah. With fear and trembling. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> 